Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we really meant what we just sang. We want to thank you that you're here at Nazarene Bible College in this service with us right now. We want to thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us. We want to thank you this evening, Lord, that you're a covenant partner God. You love doing things with us and including us in your great plan. We thank you that you have never intended that we should walk alone or serve alone or minister alone. But everything that we do, it needs to be done with you where you are. Lord, be with us in a very special way this evening. And as we break the bread of life together, melt it deep into our hearts and into our minds. And, and give us some handles that we can sort of grab hold to. And make a reality out of the theme that we say when we gather together. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We ask that you'd help us to serve you with joy and with gladness in the power of your spirit. And the family of God said, Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. You do have a sermon guide. I'm not going to promise how close I'm going to stick to that, but you know, we're supposed to do one of those. <laughs> but it will be somewhat close. Um, I do want to ask you to take your Bibles, please, and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. You know, as uh, when Dr. Like contacted me and asked me if I would uh, uh, take this opportunity and have the privilege of uh, speaking with you this evening and uh, teaching from the Word. I, I got all excited and he sent me a little note and said, now remember our theme is from Joshua. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I got all excited and so I got my Old Testament out and all my Old Testament study books and I just said, you know, I'm going to preach. I think I'll just preach on that theme. I'm sure that a lot of people are going to do it, but I'm just excited about that theme. I'm going to just jump on that and preach on that. And I began to try to exegete and do all the stuff that they taught me to do way back in the 1970s here at Nazarene Bible College. And I've been trying to do it for the last 35 years. I got all excited, and God just kept changing my path. Now, let me tell you a little secret. When you get to preaching for a while, you'll develop a form and a style and a sort of rhythm and a kind of a, a way in which you do things that you feel confident and good about. And just as you're going along real good, God just kind of breaks it on your study time and says, nope, we're not going to do that. We're not even going to do it that way. We're going to do it this way. And so God kind of took me off on another journey. Well, as I began to study that, that verse in Joshua that we say when we gather together from chapter 24, but for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The word house just kept leaping out at me like a neon sign. And I said, okay, God, I, I guess I get it. I'm supposed to do something with this word house. So the first thing I did was get out my books and, okay, what is the word and how is it used and what, is, what does it mean? Because... After all, I'll begin to ask myself, when we say that together, is that just a little ditty that we do? I mean, you know, because if it is, that's kind of sad. But if we really mean it when we say it, if we really want that theme to grip our hearts and our minds and make a difference where we live and what our homes are like, I thought to myself, then maybe we ought to just try to really grasp that word. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. What did Joshua mean when he said that? Well, I discovered something. The Hebrew word for house, bayith, means many things. Like many Hebrew words, same word, many definitions depending totally upon the context. It can mean a house, like the building. It can mean a home, more than a building, but the dwelling where a family life takes place. It can even mean the temple, the house of God. I like this one. It can mean a prison, a place where captives are housed. Is that your house? <laughs> or it, 
often it is used as household, meaning a family line, uh, beginning with somebody who's the head of the clan, and like the house of Israel or the house of David. And so as the head of the clan, he makes this bold, just gigantic step of faith and this covenant statement, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And when you and I say that, I honestly believe that we mean it. I don't think it's just some little ditty that Chaplain Light gave to us and, yeah, yeah, he says it, we repeat it. Uh, please don't let it be that for you. I think God wants it to totally capture our attention and allow it to be for us what it was for Joshua, a statement of bold covenant, a statement of faith, a testimony, a determination, a commitment to faithfulness in the service of God. But it's also a statement that has meaning not only for Joshua, but for the entire household. So that when you, we repeat it out of the King James, but when you read it in the NIV, it says, but for me and my household, my line, the people that I influence, beginning with my immediate family and going beyond, we're going to serve the Lord. Lord. What does that mean and, and, and can it have meaning in our lives today? Well, as I began to study that, I came across uh, several passages. I just went all throughout the New Testament looking for where this phrase, my house or his house or the house of the Lord was used and God just kept bringing me back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. In this wonderful passage, referred to often as the passage that introduces the Davidic covenant and all that that means, you have David all excited about what God's been doing in his life. Pretty much like you and me. I mean, he's at a time of prosperity. You say, well, that's not me. Well, but, you know, spiritual prosperity sometimes is even better than the other kind. Most of the time it really is. But he's, he's enjoying peace. Uh, the battles are kind of over. He, he's, he, he's just excited about being God's man. And he looks around, he's just finished building this beautiful palace uh, for himself out of the beautiful cedars of Lebanon. And you can just imagine the aroma. You ever open up a cedar chest, you know, that beautiful smell you get. And with all the adornment and the gold and the stuff that goes into king's homes. And he's sitting around thanking God for all these blessings. And all of a sudden he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've got this big, beautiful cedar house and God still lives in a tent. Well, David does what most of us do when we're all excited about ministry. We just get an idea. We just want to jump and go. So he calls Nathan the prophet and says, Hey, man, I've got this great idea. It's not right for me to have this wonderful house and God to live in a tent, so I'm going to build God a house. And Nathan says, You the man. Something like that. And, okay, you're God's man. You're his anointed. Sounds like a great idea. Let's do it. Well, you know, uh, kind of like the way we function sometimes. They get an idea. They make a plan. They're ready to go. And then they pray. Well, something sometimes happens when you pray, like we're going to do next week. God breaks in on the scene and says, time out, hold it, got different plans. Well, what's your plan? Well, as you read the chapter, you find out that God says, uh-uh, not time to build me a house. I'm more interested in building you a house. Now, it is an awesome twist on things because it's not what David expected. It's not what Nathan expected. And I have a, a feeling because I have been where you are. As you've come here, you've given up jobs, some of you, and, and, and you've moved away from family and all the stuff that we do to come here. And we're all excited about it and God's provided for us and he's made a way. And we've heard wonderful testimonies the last few weeks of students of, of how God just supplies every need. And we're all excited about it until we get to class. <laughs> 
But, you know, here's the good news. You don't have to take algebra here. I mean, that's a good thing, right? Is there any, but we're all excited, and, and, and we have on our minds, I'm going to learn, and I'm going to grow, and I'm going to develop, and I'm going to get in the ministry, and I'm going to build the house of God, and I'm going to build the kingdom of God, and I'm going to do all this stuff, and that's good. And, but I want you to remember something. I think in the middle of all that, God wants us to slow down and say, but wait a minute. I want to build you a house. You see, sometimes I think when we say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. And so we just grab it and we run and we go as if it's up to us. And we've made this commitment and we've got to live it out and we've got to stick it through and we've got to accomplish it. We've got to make the grade and we've got to do all this stuff. And in the middle of all that doing, sometimes we're not being. And when we're not being, I found out something a long time ago. It shows up in my house first with my wife who knows what I'm really like. There's no Reverend Doctor Jazz there, okay? <laughs> and, and, and your kids, you know, I mean, they know what you're like when you're running around the house, you know, like you would never come to class that way. But they know. <laughs> they know. In the middle of all that excitement and all that David wanted to do for God, God says, wait a minute, David, I've got something I want to do for you. Now, I wish we had time to just totally exegete that, but I'll tell you what I did. I made a nice little three-point sermon out of it. You take that outline and you preach it sometime. It'll be a lot of fun, but I don't have time to go through all that, so I want to spend a little bit more time on the application of it, but if you'll just uh, bear with me and let's at least look at portions of this discussion that takes place between David and the Lord. It's an awesome thing. It really is. David's all excited. He's going to build God a, a, a house. And God says, no, you're not, David. I'm going to build you one. And in verses 9 through 11, listen to God's response to David's enthusiasm. He means well. He, he wants to do these awesome things for God. And God says, now, I've been with you wherever you've gone. And I've cut off all your enemies from before you. Now, I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel. And I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore, just as they did at the beginning. And have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. And he says, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. Turns it around. No, David, it's, it's, it's time for me to be building you more than what you think you're going to do for me. Well, David finally gets the picture, and then he gets all excited. And if you jump down to verse 18 through 29, listen to David's response. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you've brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, O sovereign Lord, you've also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. Is this your usual way of dealing with man, O sovereign Lord? And I want to say to David, my experience is, yes, God is always better to us than we are to him. God is always more gracious to us than we are to him or for him. God is always more loving. He is always more forgiving. He is always more patient. He is this awesome covenant promise-making God who says, but I will be with you. And you know, I think that's why Joshua was able to stand up and make that bold statement. God's going to be with me. We can do it. We're going to serve God. That's our determination. Let's go. David, the same determination. You have that same determination. That's why you're here. As you continue on, 
David begins to praise God and thank him for his goodness and his kindness and his mercy. But come with me to the end now, verse 27. O Lord Almighty God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found the courage to offer you this prayer. O sovereign Lord, you are God. Your words are trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, O sovereign Lord, have spoken. And with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. Like David, my heart's filled with praise when I see God's marvelous blessings. And I'm reminded not only of my commitment to him, but his commitment to me. And I want to cry out to him, oh God, my house will be your house. So the subtitle of the sermon, Mi Casa Su Casa, is not because I'm fluent in Spanish, because I am not. But I had the privilege in my last three pastors to have a lot of Hispanic families. And I learned something from them. For as I visited their home, they would have a sign often in their home that says, Mi casa, su casa. And you know, you read that and you say, well, that's kind of nice. My house, your house, make you welcome. But let me tell you what I found out. I think of Juan and Alicia Urea. I think of Sam and Maria Escalante. I wasn't a visitor. I had a standing invitation to all family events, to all birthdays, to all holidays. If I went and stayed over at their house, I couldn't stay in a guest room. They made me stay in their room. They would go to the guest room. I was family. When they had family dinners, they seated me next to, to dad, next to the head of the house. Not just because I was their pastor, but because they knew mi casa Sukasa didn't mean you're a nice acquaintance invited here. It meant when you come here, you're home. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I begin to ask myself that question, then what does that look like at home? I know what it looks like in classrooms. I know what it looks like on the job. I know what it looks like at church. What does it look like at my house? If I make my house God's house, what would that really look like? If you look on the back of your sermon guide, this is certainly not an exhaustive list, but it's a list that kind of gets us started. So I went through and I looked at all the different places where God's house was talked about, the house of the Lord, and how people approached it and what it meant to them and what they did. And I thought, well, if my house is going to be a house where we serve God, that's not just something we do on Sunday. It's not just something we do on the campus at Bible College. It's not just something we do to get ordained. It's a way of life in order to permeate everything about me, including where I live. And so this is not exactly purely exegetical, which is uncomfortable for me because I don't like the the whole topical trip. But God wouldn't let me turn it loose. So there must be a reason that I'm supposed to share it with you and that's why I share it with you today. Praise the Lord all you servants of the Lord who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. And I ask myself, is my house a house where people praise God and thank Him for the many blessings? Do my children ever hear me say thank you besides something for hamburgers and hot dogs? <laughs> I mean, are they aware that I'm thankful for my paycheck, that I'm thankful for my health, that I'm thankful for the clothes, I'm thankful for where I live, and that most of all, I'm thankful for my salvation? Do they know that? Does that ring through the walls of your home? In Ecclesiastes 5.1, it says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen. My house will be a house where we listen to the voice of God and listen to each other. Is there good listening going on in your house? 
I mean, is the TV and the DVD and the games, are they just blaring so much you couldn't hear God if he shouted at you? Do we need to make some changes? How about, let us go to the mountain of the Lord. He will teach us his ways that we may walk in his paths, Isaiah 2. My house will be a place where God's word is more than an ornament on the coffee table. It'll be our instruction book. It'll be our guide book. It'll be our life's map. For my house will be called a house of prayer. Will it? Will my house be a house of prayer? Will it be more than just mealtime? Will it be a place where my children hear me call their name before the Lord? Will it be a place where they hear me pray for the unsaved? Will it be a place where they hear me call upon God to revive my own heart and to protect my family? Do your children ever hear you say that? Do they hear you call their name? Surely goodness and love will follow me all, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. My house will be a place where God dwells, and we'll want to be with him. It won't just be a song, I want to be where you are, but it'll be a way of life. God, I want you to dwell in my house. I, I, when people come into my house, I want them to know it's your house. When my children come home, I want them to experience the presence of God. When my family comes to visit, when my unsafe friends come over, I want them to see more than, than decorations and stuff. I want them to sense Jesus lives here too. I think that needs to be intentional, ladies and gentlemen. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. My house will be a house during the week so that when my family gather at his house for worship, we bring with us love, joy, praise, and a desire to be in his presence. Maybe we need to change how we get ready for church. It's hard to beat the tar out of your kids on the way and slap them in the back seat and come in rejoicing for Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? Can we get real? We need to think about this. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Does Sunday morning look like a joyous march to the tabernacle? Or does it look like a fiasco that'll finally conclude if we can ever make it to Sunday school? I need to think it through. It needs to be practical. It needs to be lived out. It needs to be real. I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. My house shall be a house for joy and gladness. You know, it's interesting, the words joy and gladness and rejoicing, the majority of the time in the Old Testament, always connected to praising God for salvation. Let me just ask you this right quick. Some of you have small children right now. As, as you go into ministry and they grow up, they're going to think you were born a preacher. They're going to think you had a spiritual silver spoon in your mouth all your life. Make sure they know your testimony. Make sure they know that Jesus had to come to your house too. Make sure they know that Jesus had to save you too. Tell the story with joy and gladness of the deliverance and the redemption of God. And then Jeremiah talked about it. He said, then the maidens will dance and be glad, and young men, old men as well. They must not have been Nazarenes or else they kept one foot on the floor. But I will turn their mourning into gladness. I'll give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. So when people come home, when your family come home, when your kids come home, as they get older and they come home to visit, is it a place where burdens can be laid down and sorrow and sadness can be traded for the joy and the oil of gladness of the Holy Ghost? I'm just saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. When you go into the ministry... I want to tell you, the house of God will never progress farther than your house. For you are the spiritual leader. And when you stand up and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, it's got to be more than a little worship-themed ditty. It's got to be a commitment. It's got to be a way of life. It's got to be something that grips your heart. And you say, oh God, I want it to be true. I want it to be lived out in my house so that my house is your house. Now let me close with this. 
I'm also aware that when Joshua said that, the sad part is it's not too long until the scripture says, well, the generation of Joshua knew God and his works. But the next generation knew God but not his works, and the next generation neither knew God nor his works. You can make that statement and you can't guarantee the salvation of those over which you have influence. But let me tell you the importance of why that influence really makes a difference. Because that's a good question. If I make that bold statement, if I mean that covenant, and if I trust God that we partner together in that covenant, will it really matter? Well, we had the greatest kid in the world until 10th grade. Aliens invaded his body. Uh, he went to outer space or something, <laughs> but it was tragic. I'd, I'd like to make it funny, but it was tragic. And he made some decisions in the 10th grade that ruined his life until he was 25. Sleepless nights, intercession, wondering if he'd ever get right with God, wondering if he'd ever come back. And finally, one day, I got a phone call from my son, Dad, like the prodigal, I am sick of sin. I want to come home. I'm sick of sin, Dad. I want to come home. Well, like every parent, we wondered what could we have done, what should we have done, what did we not do, and all that goes with that. And as he came home and we prayed together and he rededicated his life to the Lord, I said to him, son, what did I do? What could I? And he put his hand on me and said, Daddy, don't go there. Don't go there. This wasn't about you. This was about me. It was about stupid choices and dumb decisions. It was about listening to the lies of the devil. And he took me on a trip. A bad one, Dad. But he says, what I want you to know, Dad, you and Mom lived what you preached. You preached what you lived. You never changed. You never changed. And when I got sick of sin, I knew how to come home. That's the power of that covenant. I wish I could tell you the joy of standing at Promise Keepers where my son is standing here and my dad is standing there and we're praying that generational prayer together. And I listen to my son say to me, Oh God, thank you for a dad and a mom who never changed. They stood by the stuff and because of it, I'm saved today. Does it make a difference when you say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord? Yes, it does. That's the kind of difference that it will make, both in your family, in your life, and in your ministry. Now, before we go, I just want to ask you this question. Are there some things that would have to change in your house for your house to be his house? For you to say to God with all genuine sincerity, mi casa su casa, are there some things that need to change? And I don't say that in a condemning way, but in a challenging way to simply say, don't wait till you graduate to try to work on those things. <laughs> That's part of preparing for ministry now. Do it now. Make your house his house now. Stand with me, please. I'm just going to ask if uh, the piano would play all to Jesus, I surrender. And for our closing prayer, if it would be meaningful for you, not a guilt trip, not that you'd do anything wrong, or that kind of, but if it would be meaningful for you to say, oh God, I need to renew the covenant of what that really means, and it needs to be real in my home. I want you to help me with some things as we, as we just listen to that all to Jesus, I surrender. If you just play that for us on the piano. You know the words. You know what they mean. I want to ask you right now just to surrender anything, anyone, any challenge, any dream, any hindrance, any habit, anything that would keep your house from being his house. Bow your heads with me, please. Right where you are, would you renew that covenant? Would you say to God, this will be more than just a saying. This will be real. This is a real covenant I made with you. And if there's anything that you need God to help you with, whether you come to the altar or remain where you are, give it to him right now. Lord Jesus, we need you 
to be the Lord of our homes, our household, our sphere of influence, to, to the people that we touch first and the most and the most often, to those that you have placed under our clan, under our house. And we want our house to be your house. So that when the devil does attack us, and he'll try to do it through our kids, and if he does lead them astray, and if they go down a prodigal path, we want them to have a home and a house and a spiritual house and God's house to come back to. But more than that, Lord, we want everybody to be able to be at home with Jesus when they come into our house. And so we say to you, Lord, we surrender everything in our house. Mikasa, Sukasa. In the sweet and precious name of Jesus and the family of God said,